Hey y'all, welcome back to 50%, the uh, Katie is horse, and we are back together in person version. Yeah, if you listen to our last episode, we had to embark on a different journey of uh, recording separately, which was very strange. Yeah, in a perfect world, you didn't notice a difference. No, yes, we only mentioned it because Katie had COVID. I did have COVID, and that's partially why I still sound like this, um, but also because I was at a podcasting conference and and talking a lot. So I apologize for my voice, but this is what we're working with. So this is the uh, <laughs> the real BTS of being a podcaster is uh, sometimes you have to talk over loud music at a club in Dallas. <laughs> is that what? Were you guys clubbing? It was the part. It was at a, an iHeart podcast's party iHeartRadio podcast party you know they seem like they have a club vibe about them it was a fun party it was a fun party um it was uh it was not a networking event which is what i was trying to turn it into ah well it was not the let's have a conversation kind of party that's my networking event that yeah. i want to go to yeah if you need another reminder katie does this professionally i'm just here I do so. do this professionally, thus thus me being at a podcasting conference. But right. um, if you can tolerate my voice, um, we're here today to talk about, finally, yeah. the dead <laughs> romantics. Here we are. So this is a bonus episode for our kind of book club series that we do. And we are doing it because Katie insisted, which is fine. We make the rules for this podcast. Yeah, I really strong-armed Abigail into I didn't have to try that hard. No, I was going to read it anyway. So this is the official episode about the dead romantics. And if you haven't read this book by now, I don't know what you're doing, frankly, because... I think it's been mentioned four out of five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think I've talked about this epi- this book every single episode because it, it was my book of the summer. You know, you have a song in the summer. This was my book of the summer. Ah, uh, yes. Just like Lizzo or whatever. <laughs> the song of the summer. Ghost boyfriend. Yes. So, yeah, here we are. Um, Kind of different from our regularly scheduled programming since we just did Honey and Spice. But like again, said, we make the rules. Yeah. So you guys are all welcome. And if you so this book is normally I feel like giving spoiler warnings in romance novels is a little redundant, but this book kind of has some twists and turns. So if you haven't read this book and you think you might want to read this book, I would tell you to maybe not listen to this episode yet because it is going to spoil some significant pieces of the book for sure. Yeah, there's a couple twists that we will definitely talk about. Yes. So fair warning, If you haven't listened yet, this is your moment to turn this off. And please come back when you've read it. Yes, please come back. So Abigail, would you like to... I've talked enough about the dead romantics, and I will continue to talk more about it today. Um, But would you like to take your turn reading the blurb of The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston? And Ashley Poston, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Yes. Apologies if not. Yes. So here is the blurb. For the dead romantics. Florence Day is the ghostwriter for one of the most prolific romance authors in the industry, and she has a problem. After a terrible breakup, she no longer believes in love. It's as good as dead. When her new editor... (laughs) (laughs) A pun. (laughs) When her new editor, a too handsome mountain of a man, 
won't give her an extension on her book deadline, Florence prepares to kiss her career goodbye. But then she gets a phone call she never wanted to receive, and she must return home for the first time in a decade to help her family bury her beloved father. For ten years, she's run from the town that never understood her, and even though she misses the sounds of a warm southern night and her eccentric, loving family in their funeral parlor, she can't bring herself to stay. Her father's gone, yet everything else feels the same, and she hates it. Until she finds a ghost standing at the funeral parlor's front door, just as broad and infuriatingly handsome as ever, and he's just as confused about why he's here as she is. Romance is most certainly dead, but so is her new editor, and his unfinished business will have her second-guessing everything she's ever known about love stories. Okay, so you have an opinion about this blurb. What is it? As I've said, I think every episode, I'm not a blurb reader. Mm -hmm. And thus, I didn't know her dad dies. Yeah, so that's that's um that's also something we should talk about if you haven't read this book. It's um and if you haven't turned this episode off by now cuz you're avoiding spoilers. This book um you should look up content warnings for it because it does really heavily deal with grief and the death of a parent. Yeah. Um it was a sucker punch for me because even though I had Katie's literal print copy, all you have to do is turn it around. I didn't read the blurb before I started, and thus, I was very surprised by what happens. So yeah, and 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 it's a it's a central part of the story too. Like it's kind of the whole reason any of this even happens. Kind of, I mean, there's like multiple major, like not even subplots. Like there's multiple major plots happening at once here, right? And I have no excuse. Again, I should have flipped it over, but. This whole story basically happens, yeah, because her dad dies. Yeah, yeah. So for, before we get into it, I have a question for you, which is, I've been a pain in the ass about this book all summer. <laughs> okay. Um, and I want to know, so I read it twice before mm -hmm. I finally gave it to you, and I want to know... Did that shape or color your reading of it in any way? Did it like live up to the hype? Like just initial kind of impressions because this was, I mean, I always recommend you books, but this was the first yeah. time that in a long time that I've been like drop everything, like with the romance novel that I've been like drop everything, read this book. Mm -hmm. Like I love this book and I'm not a rereader. And this is the first romance novel that I have ever reread. Mm. ever that's right oh mm -hmm. gosh that's weird and i reread it twice in one month i know yeah because you read it in mexico and then like two weeks later you read, I it, read again. it again yeah yeah and then you handed it off to me and i yeah. put it off for a little bit but we got there but how did that how did that or did it did it change anything for you knowing like okay katie loves this book and like i gotta see what this is about you know i don't think it did because I read it really close to Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which mm -hmm. is another book that you really loved, which was actually maybe one of the only other ones that you've been like, no, drop everything and read this one right, right now. Right. I don't do that often. Right. Like, she'll recommend me books and then I'll pick them up when I get to them sort of right. thing. And so these two were really close together. And I loved Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Right. Which is a heavy read and yeah, dense. not not a romance novel. Not a romance. Um, we've also mentioned it here. It is very, very, very good, yeah. but not a romance. My my best book of the year. Oh uh, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, when I picked this one up, I don't think it really colored my perception of it. I just, you know, you've recommended me so many books. I feel like I can kind of go into them with like, okay, uh, we have pretty similar tastes, but there are some things that you vibe with that I don't always vibe with. So right. I figured as much this would be like any other book that you had recommended it to me, that you had recommended to me. Yeah. But I I did really like this book, but I don't think I loved it the way you do. And so yeah, I think that'll be Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to kind of figure out why. Because yeah. I did really enjoy this book. I really liked it. And this would be a reread for me, but I am a rereader. Right. So. And I'm still trying to sort out what it was about this book that made me be like, oh mm. my God. I don't know if it was like a I was in the right headspace for it or if it was the topic or the writing. Like I'm still hopefully throughout this episode, maybe I can kind of like try to work that out for myself because I'm still trying to figure out what it was about that. So the other thing we need to say before we get started is that I have recently gotten into the habit of Annotating is not really the right word, but putting like post-it flags into print books that I am reading um, to flag favorite quotes, plot points, um, funny moments, um, basically anything that I would like to come back to. And so Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow was the first book I gave you that I had flagged up. Mm -hmm. But this was the first book that I gave you that you also were like annotating with flags and so you'll hear us talk about that throughout this episode is where abigail put flags or where i put flags and there are what three moments that we flag the exact same passage so i think three yeah so there might be more so that's a fun little adventure we're going on is seeing yeah. who flagged which parts and why um because i think we also have different approaches to this so mm. Yeah, this was a fun little experiment because, like you said, this is the first time we've done it for a book that we are talking about on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, normally we, like, read the books independently and, like, you take your own notes and I take my mm -hmm. own notes. But this is the first time that you've been able to, like, get a look behind the curtain at, like, what my thought process is when I'm reading books like this. Yeah, it was interesting. It felt very vulnerable to, like, give you a Ooh. book that I had flagged. Ooh, did you not feel that way about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? I did, but since that's not a romance novel, it felt vulnerable in a different way. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it feels as close as we are and as, we, you know, we have no secrets from each other <laughs> whatsoever, right. but... It feels very vulnerable giving you like a romance novel and like mm. I feel like it's like a look into like the things that I think about love and relationships that are not necessarily things we talk about Yeah, because they're things that are in these books that are like these intimate moments that we're having with the author or with the characters or whatever it is. Yeah. And when I flagged up this book, I wasn't thinking of handing it off to you. When I flagged up Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, I was. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. Katie, yeah. you get the honors of starting us off. Um, so we meet Florence, our lead character, um, as she is in the, uh, shall we say, throes of trying to finish writing a book. She's a ghostwriter. 
um, which is delightfully punny considering, <laughs> you know, throughout this book, she will fall in love with the ghost. So there are a lot of really ridiculous elements in this book. But we meet her as she is trying to meet with her editor, her new editor, who is, shocker, a very hot man. Um, and a she, very large hot man. Large hot man. <laughs> she wants to climb him like a tree is her first thought when she meets him. She doesn't know if her new editor knows that she's the ghostwriter. She, she thinks that maybe he thinks that, like, She's this writer's assistant or, like, somehow affiliated with this very famous, like, sort of Nora Roberts-esque romance novelist. She poses as Anne Nichols, the author's assistant, to everybody else except for, like, three people. Right. No one knows that she's this ghostwriter. Even her family. Right. That's kind of a running joke is her brother's always trying to guess which author she ghostwrites for, which is very funny. He throws out some good names like Christina Lauren. <laughs> yeah, we get some good like romance, like contemporary romance author references because her brother's constantly trying to guess who she's a ghostwriter for. Which I love. There's good sibling relationship stuff in here. Yes, good family stuff in here overall. But um, so we jump into kind of the the meet cute like really early. Um, and they have this like kind of awkward encounter and it's just she's behind on her deadline it's all very stressful her book is due tomorrow yeah and she's done none of it she's gotten like two-thirds of it she's like i can't finish it yeah she like hasn't touched it in like a year or something like it's bad i had like a little mini panic attack reading that yeah it's really stressful to read if you're like a writer or a creative person in general who's used to working on you know on creative projects on deadline it's very stressful especially if you're like me and you're very deadline driven where a deadline makes you basically do anything yeah so do anything to meet the deadline and our girl is not doing it and it's because florence does not believe in romance or love or any of it anymore. So she's not really into this idea of happily ever afters and love and romance and writing these like, well, the books that are like the books that we talk about on this show. Yeah. And so she meets with Ben. Benji. Benji. Ben. He goes by both in this book. And she brings him a succulent, which is so <laughs> funny to me. It's so funny. And I was like, wow, should I have brought Katie a succulent when I first started working for Katie? That would have endeared me, actually. As if I wasn't endearing enough. Yeah. But the plant really would have done it. Ugh, well, you know, I'm still around. So clearly I'm okay. <laughs> so it doesn't go very well. She still doesn't know if he knows that she's the ghostwriter. But he's basically like, Anne has to turn in this book. Yeah. And like, lays down the law. Yeah, it's a really awkward first encounter. And I feel like as I was reading this first chapter, I was like, what is going on? Where are we going here? Because you kind of drop into this book like at the moment of conflict. Which I really liked. Yeah, me too. Okay. There was no like... You know, usually it's like this, a woman going about her day-to-day life and we like go with her. But this, we like got thrown into the flames 
early and I maybe that maybe that's one of the things that made this mm. book stand out for me because I felt like starting in the conflict like this which you know the the literary nerds in the room will know that this is a literary device that you can choose to do uh you can choose to use when you're when you're writing a story um and I felt like it revealed a lot about her character and I had no idea where the story was going starting at this moment of conflict because it felt like we dropped in in the middle of it. And and I feel like that's one of the things that made this book stand out for me because there's nothing wrong with starting slower, but no. a lot of contemporary romance doesn't start in the middle of the action. No, no. So this is different. So... So we learn early on that the reason that Florence doesn't believe... And I just need to say, I love... That our main character is named Florence. I was just going to say this. Like Florence I, is a great name. Yeah. I love Ugh. that we have a woman with like kind of an old lady name. As someone with an old lady name. <laughs> yeah. I have been told Abigail is an old lady name, especially because I don't go by Abby. You know what? Old lady name representation. Thank you, Florence. Yeah. I, 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 love, I love the name Florence. Benji is also a great name. I just think of the dog a little bit. Yeah, that too. But- you know, he was Ben in my mind. So our girl Florence does not believe in love anymore because she is fresh off the heels of a breakup with the actual worst man in the world. We said Zach from the last book was the worst man in the world. No, this man is the worst man in the world. If I ever see Lee Marlowe on these streets. On site. <laughs> on site. Easily. No. So this man and it's always the literary types that are awful. I have never <laughs> been so enraged reading a book until I got to the character of Lee Marlowe. Yeah, so so the quick and dirty Lee Marlowe explanation is that Florence was dating this author, this writer, who didn't know that Florence was a ghostwriter, just thought that she was Anne Nichols's assistant, this this author's assistant. Okay, also, is that not insane to you? Would you not tell your partner you're a ghostwriter? They lived together. How did she hide that? I don't know. Also, like, I think about, like, well, also, I'm an oversharer. But... Yeah, me too. I would be in a relationship for, like, a month and be like, oh, guess what? I would be in a relationship for a day. <laughs> and be like, guess what I do for a living? Depends on what my NDA says. Yeah, true. As soon as I was released to say so. We don't know about Florence's legal obligations in That's this true. book. That's true. So her partner of an extended period of time does not know that she's a ghostwriter. And so he, like, essentially just, like, negs her constantly. He's an asshole. He's terrible. He's, like... Making fun of her every every which way because he's very capital L literary and and she's not. It's so gross, and it's unfortunately I know people like this, well, which I think is why it was so upsetting to read his character. Well, yeah, he's a man, and we have existed in writerly circles for at least a little while. So exactly, yeah, exactly, and I think like. You know, we both do, me not so much anymore, but throughout our careers, you and I have both done like quote unquote lighter journalism, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's very featuresy, entertainmenty, lifestyle-y, which consistently gets 
downplayed by some of the capital J journalists that I know, not all, and this is becoming less and less of a problem as I age, but like especially when I started out doing this type of work, it consistently got downplayed by the people who were doing, you know, the quote unquote serious journalism covering politics or breaking news or whatever. And so I feel like in this situation, I saw a lot of myself in Florence as someone whose work exists in the same space as perhaps a man that I was dating. Perhaps, perhaps. Perhaps. And um, perhaps that man did not think of my work on the same level as his because his was more serious and mine was not. I didn't think about this as I was reading it because I was just, you know, full of rage on behalf of Florence. But that is a great point, especially for someone like me who has never been interested in doing capital J serious journalism. I've always wanted to do features and lifestyle and things like that. And yeah, uh, maybe that is why it enraged me so much. I haven't got, you know, I've been in this a little, you know, not as long as you, obviously, but, and I haven't come across it as often. But when you do, oof, it sucks. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's something that even have, even though I do like podcasting for a living now, and it's mostly like true crime and capital J journalistic work. Sometimes then I tell people I work on this pod on the side and it, it feels different because I'm used to like people downplaying the like silly stuff that I do. That's really funny. I feel like I've started telling people about this podcast as like digging in my heels. Like, yeah, I write features. And also on the <laughs> side, I talk about romance novels. I've started getting better at that. But it's it's kind of like a hard pivot for me to be like my my day job is like murder. And then on the side, my friend and I talk about happily ever after. And it's really fun. It is really fun. Yeah. So it it. It's interesting. And so all of that is to say I like really identify with Florence in this kind of scenario. And I have dated men like Lee Marlowe, who I worked in the same industry as, who downplayed my work. And it's fucking infuriating. I've been lucky enough not to date a fellow journalist. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm done. So, <laughs> so in learning about Lee Marlowe, which we will shortly reveal why he is so awful – we also learn another important thing about Florence, which is that she can talk to ghosts. Yeah. So even though – so I read this book and I read the blurb first. I knew that there was a ghost in the book. Well, I knew there was a ghost in the book. Right. I didn't know it was a dead dad book, though. Yes. I knew there was a ghost in the book, but I – the seeing ghosts thing came on kind of abruptly for me. Like, I feel like there wasn't this big reveal. It was just like, oh, and by the way, this character can see ghosts. And I legitimately yeah. had to flip back <gasps> a few pages and be like, wait, she what? I had to do the same thing. Yeah. yeah, just like it's very casual and like, oh, yeah, also I talked to ghosts and I tried to tell my boyfriend and he laughed at me. Yeah, like it's revealed as like, here's this shitty thing that my boyfriend did. Yes. Not... Oh. I can see ghosts. And so I'm like reading about here's the shitty thing that my boyfriend did. And then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Let's go back to the ghost thing. The, yeah. The ghost. I want to learn more about that. Like I knew this book was about her meeting a ghost, but I didn't know this was a thing she did all the time. That she was like a medium or what? We never. Long Island medium. Yeah. 
<laughs> we never get like an explanation, which I kind of love. I love like um I don't know if I would call this magical realism or I don't know if I would call it like speculative fiction. I think I wish I would probably call it magical realism, but I just love that this has like the tiniest little hint of of like fantasy. Just tiny. Yeah, kind of like one last stop. Yes, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Ooh, I do like a romance where it's got a little just little, a tiny little bit. A little sprinkling of sci-fi or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we learn our girl can talk to ghosts. Um we don't get any guidelines or explanation really around why or how other than she's like telling us like, yo, my ex-boyfriend sucks because I told him that I could talk to ghosts and he wasn't down with that. And here's where he really sucks. Yeah. So as we've mentioned, Lee is a writer. What do you think he writes his next novel about? About a woman who grows up in a funeral parlor and can talk to ghosts, and he steals all of her stories and puts them in a novel. And then basically justifies it by saying, you are not a good enough writer to have ever written this, so I did it instead. My blood is boiling I know, as I'm you like are so saying heated this. just thinking about it because little does he know that she's like a 20 time or whatever. It's probably not 20. Some large number time bestseller yeah. of romance novels. She is like... The female Nicholas Sparks. Yes. Like, people read her shit. She's Nora all Roberts. All the time. She's Elon Hildebrand. She's all the paperback girls that you have seen in the grocery store checkout line. I am so worked up. Yeah. I, like I said, I've never been so enraged by a man in this book. And I don't know if it's that, you know, we've learned that he's shitty and he's already, like, really downplaying her skill as a writer and just making fun of her all the time and then doesn't believe her when she tries to tell him something deeply personal and then he steals her like her livelihood life story yes and turns it into a novel it's not even like her story idea and stealing her story idea would be bad enough but he steals her actual like autobiography she Starts telling him things and like saying that, oh, it's like part of a story I'm working on. So it's it's also bad, too. Right. Because like the second that she figures out that he's like not really buying it, she's like, oh, oh, it's a it's a thing that I'm writing. And I think he even asked her, like, are you going to publish it? And she's like, oh, probably not. And then he's like, oh, great. Fucking takes it. Yeah. So. okay, I have a question for you. Ooh, okay. Could you ever be a ghostwriter knowing that, like, thousands if not millions of people could be reading your work and, like, almost no one would know? Ooh, that's a great question. So I was thinking about myself two years ago versus myself now. Mm. And two years ago, I don't know if you remember this about me, but it was something that felt like a divi- like a defining factor about me. But I was so attention adverse. Mm. I didn't want anyone to like ever look at me. I was deeply embarrassed by a lot of different things. I really wanted to like fly under the radar. And I'm not so much like that anymore. And so I don't know. Like I think I think Florence does a good job of telling us about 
you know, she gets a lot of praise from like other publications that really praise the books that she ghost writes and whatnot. Right. But they don't know it's her. I know. So I'm like, I, you know, I don't think I have an answer because I think, you know, sometimes I can think, well, that would be enough for me if like, okay, if I was a ghostwriter, I would want my partner, my sister and you right. to know. Right. Like the three most important people in my life, I would want to know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, maybe it wouldn't matter as much. I don't know. Like maybe it would be enough to know that people were enjoying what I was writing and it didn't necessarily have to have my name attached. Yeah. What do you think? Could you be a ghostwriter? I don't think so. I think my ego's too big. I mean, I think I would have a really hard time like being at the local bookstore or whatever, or let's say that book event. We we went the, to this book fair thing today at this brewery that we love in Austin. Shout out to Meanwhile. Yes. Some of my favorite beer in town. And if we were just like milling about at those booths, looking at people, you know, we were walking around pointing at books being like, oh, I've read that or I want to read this or whatever. I would have such a hard time if someone pointed at a book that I ghost wrote if they were like, oh, I love that book or I want to read this, I would have such a hard time keeping my mouth shut and Ooh. not being like, I did that. You know, I think I'm still at a point where I have almost no ego about anything I write mm-hmm. in almost a bad way where I'm not always super confident about it. So I think if I was, you know, as I am right now, if I was a ghostwriter and I just heard someone talk about something I wrote and be like, that's great. That would just be good confirmation for me. Right. And then I could quietly be like, okay, I am doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess what changed for me is when I started working at my current job and I'm working on stuff that like more than a handful of people consume. Yeah. You know, so so I regularly run into people in the wild who are like, I listened to this thing. And I have to be like, yeah, I made that. I worked on that. Yeah, that's a great point because what we also learn about Florence in reading this book is that she wrote a novel under her own name. Yes. And it doesn't do very well. No. And so now talking about it, like I can see a lot of myself in Florence of like, okay, I had this thing that I put all of my guts into and it didn't do very well. And now I don't want my name attached to it. Like I just want someone to... Confirm that I am doing well at what I think I can do well. Appreciate the work. Yeah. 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 Just the work without any of my person attached to it. Yeah. Which I think is how I feel a lot about how I write right now. Like, I just want someone to tell me this is good or this is bad and this is why. You know? Yeah. Which Which I can totally see. And also, I can just totally see Florence's thought process of like, a, I just want to write no matter what, and I don't yeah. care whether my name's attached to it or not. I'm just doing what I got to do. We also kind of learn about her, maybe not at this point, but pretty soon, is she hasn't gone back to her hometown in a long time. because Which is wild. Ooh, yeah. It is kind of wild. Like, she hasn't been in like a decade. Yeah. And a big reason why. And her parents live there. Yeah. And she hasn't been. That's wild to me. Her two siblings and her parents still live there. And the biggest reason why is because, and I think this is another casual reveal, Mm -hmm. is that she helped solve a murder of a boy who was her age. I think they were 12 at the time. Yeah. 
with the help of his ghost. And she was honest about it and said, oh, the ghost helped me or whatever. And everyone thought she was a liar or made fun of her. Yeah. And that was it. And so it does feel very much like Florence has given no value to her name or who she is anymore of what she can do. That's really interesting. Yeah. Whether it's skill wise, you know, as a writer or that, you know, that she can talk to ghosts, I guess, is a skill or whatever. It's an asset, at least. But If you believe that she's telling the truth. Which, in this book, she is. Right. Yeah. But most people don't know that. Right. So she has given no value to these things that she and only she can do. Yeah. So it makes sense that she's a ghostwriter. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it in that way of her kind of... I thought about it in the writerly way of her, like, first book didn't go well, so she mm-hmm. kind of shed her name for another one basic more or less i wasn't thinking about it of i wasn't thinking about it in the sense of her like kind of shedding her like broader identity or like credibility so a lot happens at the beginning of this book so we learn florence's backstory the the hometown ghost story we learn that she can see ghosts we learn about her shitty relationship um, and then there's a great best friend character in this book. I love Rose yeah. so much. Roommate, best friend, um, all around excellent side character. Rose is basically Florence's moral support and moral compass and mom and all of the above, but also her enabler. So yeah. <laughs> Um, Florence is down in the dumps about all of the things we just mentioned. The breakup, she's having a hard time with her book. She met her new editor. It was awkward. It didn't go well. He's super hot, which she's also stressed (laughs) out about. But relatable having an interaction with somebody who you did not expect to be hot, who was hot, and you had to pretend to be cool, and you were not cool. Even though you brought him a succulent. Even though you brought him a succulent, which is not cool. That's not cool. A succulent. It's it's nerdy though. I you mean, yeah, with a little succulent. Also, you know, Florence doesn't dress very well. Either. Yeah, Florence is like just she's just generally kind of a mess. A little bit, which is fine, you know. Yeah. Rose, however, has Ro- I want to be Rose when I grow up. Yeah, she has the best sense of style. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with her. Rose and I are on the same wavelength of that. We are bitches who love a bold pattern and a bright color. (laughs) Couldn't be me. Oh, it's me. (laughs) Rose just chills in Louboutins. Yeah. I don't have Louboutins, but, you know, if I could. But you would if you could. I would if I could. It's fine. I would never. I'd fall over. No, so Um, I would. (laughs) So Rose essentially convinces our down-in-the-dumps Florence to... Go to this bar for what is essentially like a kind of like a poetry slam open mic kind of moment. The bar sounds cool as hell, despite my terrible description just then. Oh, the bar is cool as hell. And they get these cocktails called the Dickinson, which I looked up and they're not real. But I want them to be real. Oh, I want them to be real so bad. Austin, make us one. Oh, I'm going to. I was literally (laughs) just thinking when he gets home, he's out of town right now. When he gets home, I'm going to make him. Make me a cocktail called the tickets. Yeah, we'll we'll report back. Yeah. So she goes for this like open mic sort of situation. So as she gathers the courage to go up during this open mic 
and read something that she wrote, you know, as herself in the flesh, who shows up at the same time. But it's Lee Marlowe, who is there to read a chapter from his new book called When the Dead Sing. Which is like, listen, I don't want to give Lee Marlowe any credit, but what a great book title. <laughs> but he stole it from Florence because that's what her dad would say. I know, but it's such a good book title. So this section in the book is like, I don't know, more than a page long, so I'm not going to read the entire thing. But there's this whole section where Florence is giving herself this pep talk. And I think one of the reasons that I love this book is because Florence's inner monologue is really beautiful and strong. Mm. And she it's kind of frustrating to watch her like not think highly of herself too. Um, She's basically in this section like saying that you know, there is this, she's seeing everyone around her getting these happy endings and she's writing these happy endings and everyone's getting them. And she basically says like, I was no longer the rule. I was the exception. That's like loosely paraphrased. So she's like, not the person getting the happy ending. She's the person who's not getting the happy ending. And this is the moment where she's like, but I'm going to like, like, I'm having my moment. I'm coming into myself. I'm going to get up and I'm going to try to like book the system and like have this moment. And then this section says, as if the universe answered, I stood when the MC called for another volunteer, another person to bear their heart. And so did someone else. Someone near the front of the bar where the tables were so tightly packed, the tweed suits blended together. I froze. And then so she looks around and she sees that it's her fucking ex-boyfriend. Have you ever run into an ex-boyfriend at an inopportune moment? Oh, you know I have. I know you're asking me this question <laughs> for a reason. But this is this is part of the reason that I flagged this section with a post-it because I just so understand this feeling. So she says... I could recognize him anywhere. Even after a hundred years, after I'd scrubbed my brain of everything he was, I would know him. And then she describes what Lee looks like. And I just, I've had this moment where I've seen my ex at a bar when I was not expecting him to be there. And it is this like stomach falling out from like beneath your feet through the ground kind of moment. And I just, I so strongly empathize with her in this moment because I was like, girl, you're like getting up your courage to do this thing that you, even on a normal day, would be hard. And then he's the, and I just, God, I just, yeah, it feels like your world is tilting when you run into somebody that like broke your heart when you're not expecting them. And when you're about to do this vulnerable thing and then that happens, like, God, that fucking sucks. It kills your courage for months. Months! Like, it's not just a normal thing. And I haven't had this experience of running into an ex because most of my exes don't live in Texas anymore. So Something, something. Yeah. George Strait. Shout out to George Strait. <laughs> Mine don't live in Texas. So Florence, in all of her angst, runs out of the bar. And who does she run into? Mr. Ben. Mr. Ben. 
the hot <laughs> mountain tall <laughs> editor. And, and everything that happens after this is a fucking fever dream. It is insane. It is nuts. So she runs into Ben in the back patio or wherever it is, the alley, whatever you want to call it. And they have a short conversation and she jumps this man. I mean, she wanted to climb him like a tree and she fucking does. She jumps this. They make out in the back alley or patio or whatever. Which honestly is like, like, it doesn't make sense in the book. This was the only point of the book where I felt like I had to really suspend my disbelief. And it's a book about ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, okay, if you run into your boss on a back patio where you saw him eight hours ago and you had a really bad meeting, are you going to make out with him even if he is super hot? No. Right? No. I mean, no, but if a man that looks like this hot, tall brooding literary type which if you're a listener of the pod you know is my type <laughs> sees me crying and says is there anything i can do i'm gonna automatically assume he's propositioning me <laughs> push me against the wall yeah there there is something you can do sir there is indeed you know and maybe i wouldn't make the first mood move but i certainly would think it yeah but would you do it no. No, because I'm a weenie. What? <laughs> Never made the first move in my life. No, we don't need to. We're hot. <laughs> so she makes out with Ben in the back alley patio, whatever. And then she finds out her dad died. Literally, like, in that moment as she's, like, making out with this man. Also, shout out to Rose who comes out and is like, what'd you do to her? And he's like, nothing and she's yeah like, get the fuck out yeah yeah so florence gets this call and is obviously upset because her dad has died and up until this point really the only thing we know about her dad is that he owns this funeral parlor um he's not healthy he's like one of those classic dads who's like i'm fine and i only eat red meat yeah <laughs> That's how you stay out of the hospital. Yeah, Tim, if you're listening, eat a vegetable. Joe, same thing. <laughs> so she finds out like kind of in this moment as she's like, I want to be reckless. I want to have this like spur of the moment kind of hot thing because I'm having a hard time right now. Again, she's not drunk enough for this. She's I not drunk enough. For I need I her to be her. three drinks in. Yes. And then I fully believe this. Exactly. But she's like half a cocktail in. So she gets this call that her dad has died and so she has to go back home for the first time in a decade. So we meet the family, which is quite fun. I love the family in this book. Yeah. The mom is fucking cool. The mom is so cool. I mean, the dad sounds... Like, cool as hell Unfortunately, also. we don't meet him alive. Yeah, but we get a lot of really fun memories with him, which yeah, I like. We do. So Florence has her mom, a brother, and a sister. And her yes. dad, who is now dead. Yes. So they kind of all together run this funeral home. It's been the family business forever. And so they have a oddly cheerful and humorous view on death which 
is the only thing that makes this book um, bearable, honestly, to it, read. It's so lovely. Because it could be really dark, but it's like – I. I think this is another thing that I like so much about this book is I've never lost anyone super close to me. And I feel like reading this book was like like a primer almost in some ways of like healthy coping mechanisms. Ooh, that's a good question or a good point. It's just a weird experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm like the same as you were like, I haven't had someone super close to me die yet. It'll happen obviously but you watch somebody else go through it Mm -hmm. and you're there as kind of the support as they're going through it because your grandparents are all still alive right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah all All six of them i've got two left (laughs) and they're in good health so i've got extras if you want to share Oh, I would love to share your grandparents. <laughs> Will they take me to the Galapagos? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. They might listen to the pod. I don't know. I certainly hope not. Yeah, so I, I feel like this book kind of – because I've read a lot of books about death and grieving, and it's also sad. And, like, obviously death is sad. But this is the first book I've read that I feel like handles it in a way that, like – even though it's like underneath this like romance story, I felt like it legitimately gave me tools for like how to think about losing people. And and I love this idea. And this is kind of woo-woo. So Okay. Um, but I love the idea. We we learn early on in the book that like um and we like kind of it's like kind of the fantasy aspect, but it's also kind of a we d- we never find out how real it is is like the de- the dead singing thing is like is does she believe this because it's happening because she can like hear and see ghosts or whatever or is she hearing the the quote dead singing because this is like the thing that comforts her mm. so like early on in the book there's this memory of her and her dad being together and it's like a thunderstorm and she can't sleep and she goes and sees her dad and she's like, what are you doing up? And he says, listening to the dead sing, do you hear them? And then he tells her basically that um, his mother, her grandma, said that, quote, the wind is just the breath of everyone who came before us, all the people who have passed on, all the ones who've taken a breath, they're still in the wind and they'll always be in the wind singing until the wind is gone. Do you hear them? And so this is kind of one of those things about the book that it's hard to tell if it's literal or not because there is this kind of like supernatural element to this book. So there are several instances throughout the rest of this book where the dead are quote unquote singing to her and she hears them. She hears the wind. Um, but I kind of like to believe it's just her being a little a little woo-woo. And I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of like these natural elements being reflections of people who have passed. And and that's the kind of stuff that's comforting to me in thinking about like death and grieving of like, you know, something's still around no matter kind of what you believe in mm. sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the first time that Florence's grief really hit me in this book was 
actually like two pages after what you just read. Mm. But she's taking her, she's heading into South Carolina back home. And, you know, so there's this point where she's like, she's off her flight. She's getting in the Uber and she's just very straightforward. And this is from the book. She goes, my flight was almost empty and they gave us pretzels and my dad was dead. The Uber driver's car smelled like lavender incense to cover up the weed and my dad was dead. That is the first like gut punch I had Mm -hmm. because while I haven't lost anyone super close to me in that way yet, you know, there is other grief in your life that hits you like that where you're just going through your day to day, whatever is going on. And then suddenly you remember, oh, shit. Mm hmm this thing happened Mm -hmm. and I'm still dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And I thought- And I'm supposed to be normal. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought this was such a well-written, described part of the book of like, this is what grief is. This is what sadness is. This is what kind of that core, not depression, but like, this is is what it's like to be in survival mode. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a feeling I know pretty well. Right. And it's, yeah, it's just, you know, you're going about your day and then suddenly you realize like, oh, shit, this thing happened Mm -hmm. and like I got to move forward with it. Yeah. And I love how she wrote that where it's just Florence going through the motions of getting back home to go help her family deal with her dad's funeral. And it's just, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. My dad is dead. And that's it. It's just very factual. Yeah. And she doesn't even have time really to think about the fact that she's about to go back to her hometown for the first time. And like, she just does it. She's like, I have to go. And this is what I'm going to do because it's what I have to do. So she gets back as the will is being read, which is a very dramatic. Again, we're like on theme of like, let's just jump right into the action. Yeah. She gets back like. Literally while the will is being read in her family's funeral home. Mm -hmm. Literally in the middle of it. But we learn that, and maybe this is another part of the reason I love this book, because my dad would do some like weird off the the wall fucking shit like Florence's dad does. And so Florence's dad being a through and through weirdo, and I say that with love. So much affection. Yeah. Because this man is a fucking weirdo. He owns a funeral home. He can talk to ghosts. Like, this man is a weirdo. He has all these bizarre requests for his funeral, including 1,000 wildflowers. Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah. Abigail's always here for the Gilmore Girls reference. Oh, I know them all. Elvis has to perform. Who which, is dead. <laughs> who is dead. But, you know, that doesn't stop things in their world. Yeah, you know. Um, there's a party store receipt, and so this man has bought things for his own funeral. Like, 20 years before. I think the receipt is backdated for, like, 2001. Yeah. Which is hilarious. I would absolutely do that. I will absolutely be buying uh, decorations for my own funeral that was <laughs> and my- leaving you guys to deal with it. That was my favorite request. Obviously, I hope you die first because you're older than me, but... I will fulfill your party city requests if I must. So Florence gets home. Things are like tense. 
Which, like, obviously. Yeah, she hasn't been home in 10 years. And her dad's dead. Yeah. Nothing's going well here. No, it's not the ideal time to visit home after a decade. But it's when you have to. And so not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of action here. It's mostly just, like, Florence getting reacquainted with her family. Her sister Alice has beef with her because she left. You know, Alice sounds fucking cool, by the way. Yes, agreed. The entire family. I want them to adopt me. Yeah. They're great. So she's getting reacquainted and everything. And who shows up at the door? The doorbell rings. And there's a fucking ghost at the door. And it's Ben. It's her hot mountain man editor. He's just there. (laughs) And everyone is just as confused as all of you are listening to this if you haven't read this book. It it's very yeah, he just shows up. Again, like this book likes to drop us into the middle of whatever's going right. on. Right. And this happens like, hang on, let me flip through. This happens so early in the book where this man just turns up dead. This happens on page 74 out of 340 some odd pages. Yeah. Very early. He's there. He's a ghost. And he's confused. He's like, "Why the fuck where am I?" Why are you here? We've only met twice. We made out at the bar last night. Like, what's going on? Yeah. It's a lot to process. And so she just kind of has to break the news to him of like, okay. You're dead. So this has happened to me before. (laughs) And it turns out you're dead. And then Rose confirms over the phone with her that Benji was hit by a car. Right. Which, ow, fuck. (laughs) It's like Devil Wears Prada when Emily gets hit by the car. <laughs> That's kind of how I imagined it. Ooh. Uh, and so this entire middle stretch of the book, this entire middle stretch of the book is basically Florence kind of getting reacquainted with her family, getting reacquainted with her hometown. There are some fun side characters here. The folks who run the Airbnb, or the B&B, it's not an Airbnb, it's a proper bed bed and breakfast. Not your internet one. It's a proper bed and breakfast run by Dana, her old classmate. Dana is always reading a book and they always reference what book Dana is reading and sometimes Dana's reading romance novels, sometimes they're reading... Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Dana's the best. Love Dana. Dana's my favorite non-family like side character. Other than a uh, human side character. <laughs> human side character. Oh. Because yeah. then we meet Abigail's favorite side character. I actually don't know if this is Abigail's favorite side character, but I'm assuming. I mean, like, probably the mayor, who is a dog. Who is a dog. I love a stupid small town thing, which is electing a dog to be your mayor which is great (laughs) and the dog is not even like a real side character he's just like around just like occasionally no he just sometimes shows up for comic relief yeah he's just there which brings us to our first i'm dramatically holding the book above my head to head to abigail our first i see it jointly um post-it flagged (laughs) we need a better verb for this Annotated. We post-it flagged the same section. So, the mayor is owned by this man named Seaburn, who Florence went to high school with. And they're 
friendly if not friends. I would I would I would come close to calling them friends, but they're friendly because she hasn't been around for 10 years. So Seaburn and Dana and Florence are all hanging out um, and basically catching up on what they've been up to. And they're all talking about Florence's first book, the one that was not very successful. And they all read it. And he's talking about how they had a book club for it when it came out. And ah! I love that I love his description of the book. I think we flagged this for the same reason. Um, but there were two parts of this that I liked. So the first part that I liked was when he was saying, everyone loved it. It was, I don't know how to describe it. Happy is a close word. Which I loved that moment because like who wouldn't want their writing described in that way? But I think the reason we both flagged this passage is what comes next um, when it reads, That was flattering, especially from Seaburn, who read so much and so widely, my reading habits probably paled in comparison. Quote, a romance leaves you happy, or at least content at the end, or it's supposed to, I think. End quote. I flagged it for the first part. Really? Yeah. Because it was us. Yeah. Yeah. When, why did you flag it? I liked the second part. I liked the a romance leaves you happy or at least content at the end because I liked the addition of at least content because it doesn't have to be happy. No, I flagged it for the first part because that's always how I think of you. Aww. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, you read a lot more than I do. Well, you're faster than I am. So. Yeah, I liked, I did like that description of him because that's a real feeling but yeah. i like that that entire two paragraphs were lovely for me oh yeah i do really like her interactions with the townies that are friendly to her who have like good positive interactions with her it's like a reminder like no your town isn't that shitty like not everybody was awful to you so this entire middle section of the book basically ben keeps randomly showing up and being charming Um, and Florence has like no rhyme or reason for how, when he's showing up or why for that matter. She thinks his purpose for being there is that so she can finish Ann Nichols last novel in her contract. Which is not a stress. Like if I were like, okay, listen, I grew up watching and loving Casper and Casper the movie is all about. You're a ghost because you have unfinished business. Do you remember this? No. We need to watch the Casper movies. So she also establishes that she mostly helps ghosts finish. Their I mean, yes, but this business. is established lore. I feel like that's the cliche. Is like if there's a ghost, they got something to do. Is it because of Casper? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know, Dickens, whatever. I mean, yeah. Some other old guy. Whatever. Some other old ghost. Not Casper. (laughs) Casper was a literal child. A literal child. So she thinks that his purpose is to help her finish the book. Florence is trying to figure out what Benji is there for and helping him with his unfinished business and also figuring out how to get a thousand wildflowers for her dad's funeral and how to get Elvis to sing at her dad's funeral, which she finds an Elvis impersonator who was apparently friends with her dad. So, And she has to write the obit 
There's there's a lot going on. Yes. But it's the it's the open world concept of a romance that I really like where it's just people living their weird lives. Right. Not a lot not a lot of action. No. There's really not a lot like I was I wrote the outline for this episode and like I was on act 2 and I was like, I don't know, they wander around and they do stuff. Like yeah. They go to Waffle House. They do go to Waffle House. Bruh. Do you know how much I love a Waffle House? I do love Waffle House. But this is kind of a fucked up moment because this is kind of where we start to figure out that Florence's family is kind of leaving her out of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is understandable because she's been gone for so long. So there are some trust issues between her and her family, which brings me to the second moment that we both have flagged. Ooh. Okay. What is it? Carver. Florence's brother is dropping her off at the bed and breakfast asking about how the obit's going and she's like it's going great I'm totally writing it for sure I'm definitely writing the obit so she has this moment where she is like opening this word document she delete what she deletes what she had written and is just staring at the blank word doc which <laughs> relatable yeah um but then the next passage is and if I might be wrong about this, but I think the reason you flagged it was for this section. I didn't know how to form the words for what I wanted to write. I didn't know how to take all the jumbled feelings in my head and put them onto paper. There weren't words big enough or strong enough or warm enough to encompass dad. He was untranslatable. (sighs) Okay. I feel like I'm getting really emotional. I know, about this. me too. So Katie and I are both pretty close with we're our dad dads. people. We're we're dad we're ugh we're daddy's girls. We are. We are though. I hate saying that, but it's true. It is true. I flagged that for two reasons. One was that because, you know, I don't want to think about my dad dying, but if I have to, our dads are both vastly untranslatable. <laughs> They're weird people. They're they're deeply weird people. <laughs> the middle just kind of meanders along a little bit. But it's so beautiful. Like it's it's Ashley Poston is like flexing. She's yeah. a good writer. So I think probably the most significant moment in the middle is when she and Ben go to the ridge, which is where mm-hmm. she had found the body of the boy that she helped solve the murder for which is so it's another casual drop and it's so deeply sad yeah and it's just one of those like ashley just like punching you in the gut just okay whatever but his dad killed him yeah and it's just we don't really get to know this boy outside of florence which like you know, fair enough, it's her story, but they return to the ridge, which is a place that she's been avoiding, and she goes with, there with Ben because that's where the wildflowers are. Mm-hmm. Because she's on this mission to find a thousand wildflowers, and she thinks maybe here is an option. Yeah. And, oof, it is beautiful. Going into Act 3, we've got the wake. They have the wake for her dad, finally. Um, and Ben shows up and up until this moment, like we don't really know when, you know, ghostly Ben is going to arrive or not. And so you're kind of reading the scene at the wake, like hoping 
that he's there because she wants him to be there. Florence wants him to be there. And he is, which is really nice. Yeah. So after the wake, Ben sticks around and meets the family. Florence's mom and her siblings, Alice and Carver, and her and Nikki, Carver's partner, are just hanging around playing cards. And Ben is still sticking around. And they're just having that kind of moment when you have with family that's really close and something really shitty is going on. Mm -hmm. But where you all kind of decide to just have a nice moment together and put it aside and just be together and bond. Yeah, it's like after you have this whole day of having to be on for other people. Yes. And then everyone leaves and you're like, Okay, finally. It was like the the like after my wedding, just hanging out with like Aww. you and Austin and Sydney and just like being like okay, the people that I have to like be my best self for are gone and I can just fucking relax, you know? It's like that moment. A- it's like the after party. Yeah. But of a good moment or a bad moment. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's the after party, but it's not always a party. It's just like you're with the people that you want to be with. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like a really, I mean, anytime that's really emotional, whether it's good, like a wedding. Yeah. Or whether it's like sad, like a funeral. Right. You have this moment where everyone else leaves and then you can take your like mask off essentially. Yeah. And, and you're like, okay, these are the people that I can just be myself around. Exactly. Yeah. And she does such a good job of writing what that is like Mm -hmm. like we've all kind of had that moment of you know like you said like taking the mask off and being like okay i can just like be myself around these people whether it's your friends or your family or whatever and they're playing cards and eating pizza and just like hanging out and giving each other shit which is very much something my family does so that felt very relatable (laughs) and florence and ben are just like, Florence is there and she's present, but she's also with Ben a little bit. And it's it's this, at first, kind of this weird moment of where she's straddling these two different worlds of, like, because she, she and her dad were the only ones in her family that could visit with the ghost. Like, her other family members cannot do that the way that she and her dad can. So, outside of her losing her dad... She's also lost the other person that can do this and mm-hmm. that understands what she can do and what she's going through when she does this. And so there's this kind of like moment where her family and her are playing cards together and eating pizza and just hanging out at the, after the wake. And Ben is just kind of hanging off to the side and she's like talking to Ben and she's hanging out with her family and her family knows that she can do this and they fully believe her. This is not like the rest of the town. And they basically like invite Ben into it. Yeah. And with her as like the interpreter, basically. This this is the like I don't tear up in books a lot, but this is the part that like really got me. It was so nice. It's just so loving and beautifully written and just like a cozy moment with people that love you and care about you and understand you. Well, and and even though this book, like, he's a ghost, he's not a real person, this book is, like, 
It's goofy. It's fine. It's goofy. But I feel like anyone who has been in a romantic relationship can, like, remember a moment like this. Yeah. You know? And, like, identify with a moment like this of, like, that first moment that either you were made to feel at home with your partner's family or friends or your partner was made to feel at home with your family or friends. It doesn't has, have to be family. It can be non-blood related, right? So, but there, I think anyone like ha- has a feeling like this that they can read this scene and like feel with it. Yeah, it's like confirmation too from other people like, this is right. This is yeah. going well. Yeah. This is what it's supposed to be. And then they end it of them all dancing together. There actually is on Spotify a playlist of all the songs referenced in this book. And it's a great playlist. And I listen to it a lot in the car. <gasps> Stop. <laughs> it's okay. very good. I'll send it to you. I'll put it in the show notes also. I cannot remember now who created it. But someone else who is presumably as big of a fan of this book as I am. Sadly, not me, who is the fake queen of Spotify playlists, (laughs) I would like to think, but it's not me. Okay, so let's uh, get to the the moment. (gasps) Okay. This is the hottest non-sex scene I've ever read. So (laughs) what I was saving to talk to you about on, on air, on the podcast, whatever, is I told my boyfriend, we were. I was reading this book for the podcast, and I was like, oh, it's about a ghost. And he was like, okay, but how are they going to do it? And I was like, well, I don't know. I think it'll kind of be like this, this, and this. And he was like, is it going to be like Shape of Water? Like the <laughs> fish sex scene? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't think so. Turns out I was right. It's 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 good. It's really good. And it had... Every chance to be super lame. Oh, I was like waiting on something to, that I was going to roll my eyes at. That yeah. I was like, physically, there's no way you can have sex with a ghost. It's so hot because he's just like watching her and telling her she's hot. Which well, turns out that does it for me. <laughs> I, I always knew this does it for me. So this was totally my shit. And also, I think like Ashley Poston is such a good writer. And there's been such a build up to this by this point cuz this is on page like we're in the 270s by now we're out in of act- like a 340 page book. Yeah, we're in act 3. This is the morning of her dad's funeral also. <laughs> and yeah, which like a girl's got to blow off some steam. Yeah, you know, fair enough. And it's after they've all like danced and played cards together, he stays with her in her mm-hmm. B&B room all night as she sleeps next to him. In a very, you know, like, Twilight manner, which I think she references. Yes, she does reference Twilight. There's also a moment here that I love where (laughs) he says, you did say romance was dead. And she says, aren't you? (laughs) Which is so funny. (laughs) Aren't you? And then um, he goes on to say, much later on down the page, um, he's like, dead is what you make of it. And he's like, there's so many things we can do. 
we can talk books. We can wax about the romantics, Lord Byron and Kate's and Shelley. And she says, Mary or Percy? And he says, Mary, obviously. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is such a nerdy ass fucking book. I I'm in it. love with this man. Oh. I'm in love with this man. Oh. I, I love a Mary Shelley reference. I love a nerdy literary reference. It's so good. It's so good. So they have a like a phone sex scene, but he's like a ghost. Yeah, he like kind of talks her through it. Here's yeah. like, do this, do that. But it doesn't even progress that far. Yeah. Like, because she has to go to a funeral. <laughs> but it's somehow like one of my favorite sex scenes I've read recently, even that's not even sex. It's just, it's really romantic. It's And I think it's because it comes on the heels of this nice moment with her family too. Like all of the ingredients are just like, Yes, it's like the intimacy. Like, yeah. And also, she is kind of at the point where she's like, he's a ghost, so this can't happen. Like, because he's literally a ghost. Right, he literally cannot touch me. Yeah. And so this is kind of all they can do. Yes. But they just kind of lean into the intimacy of it. And it's great. And they're both happy with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're, like, Florence is sad they... You know, she can't make out with him and touch him and whatnot, but, like, she's still very happy with the experience, which I guess is a weird way to put it, but, you know, it's a good moment for both of them. Yeah. Ghost, ghost and human, whatever. <laughs> so we have, after after this sexy, non-sex scene, we have the funeral, which is the fucking funniest funeral I've ever heard of. This is what I want my funeral to be. Yes. I want you guys to just like get wasted and party. Yeah. No one. I don't want. I don't want anyone to be sad. <laughs> so the title of this chapter is It's a Death! Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Which is what Florence's dad has purchased at fucking Party City or whatever. He's purchased balloons that say It's a Death. Like the same way you would purchase balloons that say like It's a Boy. <laughs> this is the funny shit. <laughs> Oh, funny. There's like a couple of them like, it's a death. And then and happy death day. This is exact. Okay. Do you remember Harry Potter? Yeah. The like, death it's day. a death day. Yeah. It's a death literally day party. my first thought. Yes. Um, also, there were balloons, streamers, party hats, and kazoos. And some of the town kids were playing the Imperial March. <laughs> okay. Mark my words. When I get lowered into the ground, I want the Imperial March playing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> if I die first, I want you to make I sure this happens. I will carry out your wishes. That's all I want. That's fine. That's so funny. It's so good. On kazoos. The kazoos are optional for my funeral, but if you feel the moment fits it. I will be playing the Imperial March on the kazoo That's at fine. your funeral. <laughs> Great. I'm if signing make, off on it right now. If I make it to your funeral. Oh, great. I will do that. Hopefully we live a long time and this podcast lasts decades. Hopefully but... we die on the same day and we never <laughs> even have to do this. We'll, we'll be like those two lovers who die within hours of each other. Oh, absolutely. Who cares about our partners? Katie and I are dying <laughs> We're within We're going out at the same time. <laughs> um, But the funeral is really nice and she delivers her eulogy for her dad, which we don't get to read. Which I love yeah. as a literary choice. Yeah. I like the idea that something is secret 
from the reader. Ooh. It's something for the character just for herself to know. I like that because it's so personal. Oh, yeah. I mean, so much of this book gets me because it is such a dad-daughter relationship. Yeah. But as I was reading it, I was like, shit, you know what? Yeah, this makes sense. Like, you know, Florence doesn't know she's telling us a story in this right. book or whatever. Right. But it makes sense that this is something that is private for her and the people that are at the funeral. And and so Florence's dad has also written her a letter to be read at the funeral that we also don't get to hear. <sighs> yeah. And which is good because I would have lost my shit, so maybe it's a good thing that we don't get to find out what's in it. Yeah. But you have this part here that you flagged. So after Florence reads her eulogy in the fl- in the letter that her dad instructed her to read at his funeral, this is her inner monologue, and it says, Not all of my companions would be ghosts, but it was okay if some of them were, because dad was right in the end about love. It was loyal and stubborn and hopeful. It was a brother calling before a funeral to ask how the latest book was going. It was a sister scolding her older sister for always running away. It was a little girl on a stormy night tucked into the lap of an undertaker, listening to the sound of the wind through the creaky Victorian house. It was a ballroom dancer spinning around in an empty parlor with the ghost of her husband and a song in her throat. It was petting good dogs and quiet mornings waking up beside a man with impossibly dark eyes and a voice with the syrupy sweetness of third shelf vodka. It was a best friend flying in from New York on a moment's notice. It was life wild and finite. I'm crying. <laughs> this is this so- part fucking got me. This is the first time we cry on this podcast. I know. This is so beautifully well done. Yeah. An encapsulating of all of the different types of love that we know that Florence knows in this book of parental, of sibling, of best friend, of... Romantic. Of dogs. Of dogs, yeah. It is petting good dogs. It is petting good dogs. It is... Oh, God. But it's really lovely because, you know, this book is really about Florence not believing in love. And she she says it's romance, but it, but it's love really is what it is that she doesn't believe in and... Throughout the book, we get all of these different types of it. And I have to read the last part of it. As she's finishing the letter from her dad. And it says, this is her starting out in her inner monologue. It was a few simple words written in loopy longhand. And this is her dad. Love is a celebration, I read, my voice wobbling, of life and death. It stays with you. It lingers, my darlings, long after I'm gone. Listen for me when the wind rushes through the trees. I love you. I folded the letter back up and whispered softly, privately, one final time. Goodbye, Dad. I don't even know what to say about this. I know. Like, it's, it is how I want to think about life and love when I lose somebody close to me. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's, that, like, goes back to what I was saying earlier about why, I loved this book so much and and how much it taught me about like grieving and how I would want to grieve when it is my time to grieve the people that I love, you know? 
Yeah. And the recognition of the people that are in your life when you're grieving. Yeah. That And the funny parts, the kazoos playing the Imperial March, <laughs> you know, like it's all of it, which is really beautiful. Yeah, just the simple moments in life and as it sums up, if it was life wild and finite is just I love that. And that's the end of a chapter. Yeah. It's just a good cry chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did not cry at this book. I'm crying now, but I did not cry at this book. I think I had – I'm like so – you know how I am about dad stuff. I had to be like, walls up, walls yeah. up. We're not crying, my guys. Like, we're not doing it's this. It's fiction. It's fiction. It's fiction. <laughs> so after we get through the heavy stuff, shit gets weird. <laughs> so turns out Ann Nichols has been dead. Yes. Which is the first, like, big plot twist. For, like, five years. Yeah. We find out. been dead a long time. Yeah. And the person who met Florence and asked her to be a ghostwriter was Anne Nichols' ghost. As a ghost! She was a ghost who asked for a ghostwriter. This book is so funny. Also, how does that work? There's no way that works. <laughs> like, everyone, somebody would know that she's dead. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Ann Nichols is also Ben's grandma. Yeah. Which is why he's dedicated to finishing out this book and is also sort of his unfinished business. Yes. As a ghost. But then. So <laughs> Ben and Florence say goodbye. Ben leaves. Florence finds out, you know, thankfully her dad always knew she was a ghostwriter. She goes home to New York. And guess what? Ben's not dead, baby girls. Ben's not dead. So y'all remember when Rose and Florence talked on the phone and they were and Rose was like, oh my God, did you hear Benji Ander got hit by a car? And Florence was like, oh wow, that's so surprising. I totally didn't see the ghost of him yesterday. I have to act like this is brand new information. Um. Florence just assumed that Rose meant that he was dead, but he's been in a coma. (laughs) A coma! He's not dead! He's not dead. I was texting Katie as I was finishing this book. Yeah, hang I wait, holy, all caps, holy shit, she's a writer for an actual ghost, and I did the little emoji where the guy's covering his face with his hands, but like two fingers are open and he's peeking through. And then all caps, Abigail says, he's alive, four question marks. And I did two of those emoji. I didn't see any of this coming. <laughs> I thought Me ben, either. I, I was fully preparing myself for Ben to be dead and for it to be a very sad ending. I kind of thought maybe I was preparing myself for a lame ending where he somehow came back to life. I guess he kind of does. I mean, yeah, but I thought he was going to be like dead, dead, like real for real, capital D, dead. Oh, sure. You know? So she finds out he's alive. He's been in this hospital in New York, and she goes to see him, and his ex is there, which is kind of a side plot point. Right. But it's not super important. But she sees his ex, and she basically like turns around and leaves. And I'm like... Florence, I'm a nosy bitch. How? Right. And then she, like, for months does not contact him. Again, I'm a nosy bitch. How? Also, like, your book was due. How are you not talking to this man? But, like, whatever. (laughs) But 
you also had this very intimate, like, week-long experience with ghost version of him. And so she turns in her book, and it's very formal, and then she goes to meet with him. Ugh, the tension! This is, oh my god, oh my god. I, I don't even know what to say about this part, so she goes to meet with him, and to talk about, like, the book that she's turned in with the happy ending that she finally was able to write. And they have this like weirdly formal email exchange where they go back to calling each other Mr. and Miss whatever. And so she's like stressed out about this because she's like, do I bring it up? Like <laughs> That he was a ghost and in my hometown and we hung out for a week and also kind of had ghost phone sex. <laughs> ghost phone sex, except we were in the same room. I don't know how else to put it. I you know. know, like uh, astral plane sex, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Ghost phone sex. So tell us about the gift, Katie. So earlier in the book, Ben is always talking about this book that he read that made him want to work on romance novels and work on an imprint for a publisher that focused on romance novels. And we learn that the book he's talking about is Florence's book that widely tanked, but he loved it. I want to read her book. I know. And so she, the gift that she brings him is sort of this gamble that's like an inside joke almost because it's this reference that he made to her when he was a ghost that real life him may or may not remember and it's a signed copy of her own book. And I flagged this moment because she says books didn't always find success, but they found where they needed to go, like Dad had said, which I love. And so he unwraps this copy of this book that she signed, and that's the that's the reveal. He's like, oh, oh, my God, you remember. And she's like, oh, my God, you remember. No, I have to read the line. Yeah. So this is Ugh, this part. I love this part. So they're both kind of playing coy where they're trying to figure out if the other remembers what happens. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. This is such a good part. They've been playing this game where like what would like what would the book look like? Like what would your editor say mm-hmm. almost? And she starts by asking him, what would this scene be like? And she continues, a refined editor from a prestigious romance imprint and, and he finishes, a chaotic ghostwriter who takes graveyard walks at midnights and shouts in the rain and unironically orders rum and cokes and bites her thumbnail when she thinks no one is looking. I do not. I lied, my voice cracking as he stepped closer still. And suddenly he was in front of me and cupped my face in his hands, the recognition in his eyes blooming like dandelions, which they saw dandelions on the ridge. Mm -hmm. And the ache in my chest turned into something warm and bright and golden. I knew you once, he said so ardently, it made my heart flutter. I think you still do, I whispered. (sighs) And he bent and pressed his lips to mine. No notes. I'm so 
I'm upset. The the set the scene thing fucking killed me. Throughout the the several times that they did that throughout the book always killed me. But God, this is the best. God, the payoff, it's so good. It made everything worth it. It's like, so good. The romance, the, you know, it's not a spicy book. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Everything was worth it at this. I think you do. I think you do. I think you still do. I think you still do. It's it's perfect. No notes. It's incredible. It's flawless. This is the best ending or the best like reconnection moment for a romance that we've read thus far. Yes. Better than book lovers in the bookstore. Yes. Which I didn't think yes. could be topped. Yes. But the ending, flawless. God, this is so, I don't have anything to say about it. It's I know. so good. It's perfect. It's perfect. Like, I'm upset. It's so good. And then he asked, she asked him to go back to her hometown mm-hmm. for her brother's wedding. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah, okay, let's go. And everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah. <laughs> Literally everyone. And they actually have sex. And they have sex, yeah. Yeah, like super late. Yeah, like literally at like 99%. <laughs> I texted Katie and I was like, this is a record. Yeah. Like, it's like 98% where they actually yeah. have P and V sex. It is, it is a record. And it's not very graphic. So this is... And I don't even care. No! <laughs> I don't care. This is the only book that I've ever been like, this needs to be a movie. Because God, I want to see... I think you still do. Yeah. I want I want the HBO miniseries treatment of God. this book so bad. It's so good. It's so, a perfect book. It's a perfect it, book. Oh, my God. So everyone lives happily ever after. This is not a plot-heavy book. This is a sit-and-be-with-the-characters book. Character development, yeah. Which is totally my shit. Me too. I love a character book. Me too. God. So wrapping it up kind of... Katie, I want you to tell us why you insisted that we do this for a book club episode. I insisted that we do this because I think there's so much more going on here than the romance. And obviously, we've talked about books where it's just the romance, and we've talked about books where there's more going on. But I just felt like this one was so ripe for discussion because of the grief aspect of it, and because you and I have really close relationships with our dads. So we have, you know, similar but different takes on this. Mm. But you and I are also writers and creative people. And this book is also a lot about the creative process and feeling blocked and not being able to do the thing that you need to do to get the job done or to like fulfill yourself creatively or whatever. And I felt like those moments were really relatable. And it just fe- it just felt so different than any romance, any contemporary romance I've read in recent memory. And I just, A, I knew that I wanted you to read it. And I just, I just haven't, B, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I read it. And that's why I read it a second time immediately. You know, I think I said at the beginning that I didn't connect with this book the way that you did, but Mm -hmm. we also haven't talked about it, really. Right. Because we've been saving it for this. And I don't know if there's been a book since, like, 
a maybe a like a like an Abby Jimenez mm-hmm. <laughs> that has like gut punched me in the same way where it kind of sits in sadness. Yeah. The way that some other contemporary romances do or do not. Yeah. Maybe breathes past. Yeah. Which is like sad bits. Yeah. Which, which is, is like, also fine. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Like, you know, My Killer Vacation has like zero sad bits. Right. And which was very fun to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Like, you know, but this is a character that, you know, like you were talking about, this is somebody that we can connect very deeply with, yeah. that has a close relationship with her dad, that is a writer that has had some similar life experiences. And yeah, it's it's very different from anything that I've read in the romance kind of genre space yeah for sure and like i i also i i think i just like really identify with florence in a lot of ways for all the ways that you just mentioned and she's like kind of a mess and not a mess in the like oh i'm clumsy and not like other girls way that like some contemporary romance is written but just in the she's just kind of messy and that's just kind of part of it and she feels very real to me yeah in in a way that a lot of our contemporary romance heroines sometimes don't. She feels like a real person. Let's bring this truly home. Katie, tell us what you're reading right now. So I am reading, I'm finally reading Jasmine Guillory's retelling of Beauty and the Beast called By the Book. Ooh, um, so I'm not very far into it. I started reading it while I was on my trip to this conference because it felt like an accessible don't need to – I couldn't read anything that I use my brain <laughs> very much because I've been so busy with work and school. But I started that. I'm not far enough in it to be able to share many impressions, but it's Jasmine Guillory, so I already know it's my shit. Um, in the non-romance world, I just – finished The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan, which fucked me up. And anyone else who has read this book, please DM me because I want to talk about it. What about you? So I, on your recommendation, started my Oxford year by Julia Whalen, which I bought with you, actually. We were at Book I'm People. I'm fist pumping right now. We were at Book People for Bookstore Romance Day. And book People is the independent bookstore in Austin. Yes. Shout out to Book People. We love Shout them. Shout out to Book People. We love them. But I bought both of Julia Whalen's books, and I started with my Oxford year because it's the beginning of the school year. God, I'm loving it. It is so... I already established I love a cozy British romance, and this is literally what it is, and it's related to school. God, I all I want is to be back in school. This is such a great book. This is one of, in hindsight, I think this is one of my first contemporary romance reads. And I think I talk about The Unhoneymooners being my gateway drug. I think this was one of the other ones for sure. Yeah, this is like not full romance. Like there's obviously a romantic element to it when you start it. But it's, I was telling Katie earlier, it's kind of like that quote unquote open world sort of book where it's just somebody like living their life. Right. In a way, in a maybe a different way than you do. Yeah, and you just get to watch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm. It's I'm so ha- fun. I'm having so much fun with it. So I'm like halfway through. I'll report back probably on our Instagram about what I feel about it at the end. But I think yeah, it'll be overwhelmingly positive. So 
Yeah, after you're done with it, I want to reread it because I really loved. This will be a so far into it. This is one that I'm glad I bought because I think it will be a for sure reread. Yeah. Like every year at the beginning of school. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. It it, it is very cozy. Um, But I am excited to after I finish this Jasmine Guillory book or maybe even before I finish it, I am going to pick up our next book club book, which is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake, which we've been talking about for a while. I'm so excited about it. It's our first queer romance to cover on the pod. And I've just been hearing and thinking about this book for a long time. So I'm really excited to finally read it. Yeah, I haven't started it either, but I'm really excited to read it. As we read the blurb on the last podcast, we're not going to repeat it. But, you know, it's got wedding drama. It's got a villain. It's got a tattooed woman who presumably wears docks. So our people. All the hits. All the hits. (laughs) So we're very excited for this one. So that'll be our next episode about Delilah Green. Uh, You can get it on our bookshop link. Yes. Visit. Um, I will put it in the show notes, the link to our bookshop to buy Delilah Green. I will also put a link to buy The Dead Romantics because if I haven't convinced you to read this book yet, it is my one wish for you. If you buy any book from us, if you read any book at our recommendation, I think it should be The Dead Romantics, honestly. Um, but oh. all of the other ones we've read genuinely have been wonderful. And buying books from our bookshop is a great way to support us because we make approximately $0 doing this podcast. Negative dollars, Negative actually. dollars, actually. Yes, that is true. Um, so if you want to Throw us a couple bucks. If you're going to buy a book that you are going to buy anyway, why not buy it on our bookshop profile? And if you're having a hard time finding a specific book on an affiliate link, please DM us on Instagram at 50%pod and one of us will send you a direct link because we are all glued to our phones and we have no boundaries. And so we will message you back immediately. (laughs) Of all our side gigs or all of our jobs, this is our most fun one. Yes. So So we will respond anytime. (laughs) We will tell you about our books we're reading. So Yes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or the listening app of your choice. I'm not biased, um, but those help us out a lot. And as always, follow us on Instagram at 50%pod. And we will see you next time to talk about Delilah Green. Doesn't care. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>